marketing is not a support department anymore. We are not there to support anyone. We are a revenue generating department and we need to understand that the change has happened and now we have the tools to prove it. Welcome to Hidden in Plain Sight, the enterprise revenue intelligence podcast for revenue leaders in yes, sales, marketing, and customer success. Because we all share the same goal, revenue growth. Always more, always faster. We learn how to drive revenue as we examine real-life insights from multiple angles with human flavor since people buy from people. I am your host, Mariana Kogan, CMO and winner of the Forrester Marketing Program of the Year, and I will be joined by Art Harding, Season Revenue Leader. Hello and welcome to Hidden in Plain Sight. In this episode, we will be discussing a very timely but challenging data point. 86% of sales professionals have lost or stole a deal in the last 12 months based on decision makers changing roles. And who better to help us to identify actionable insights than my great friend, Lorena Morales. Welcome to the episode. Thank you, Mariana. It's such an honor to be here and a pleasure to be one of the first guests of the show. Very, very happy to be here. Absolutely. You have an amazing career. You started in product <laughs> design, design thinking, marketing, operations, and so many more things. Why don't we start by telling us a little bit about your journey, how you got here, what have you loved, what would you have done differently? Tell us everything about you. <laughs> sure. Yeah, many, many people call my career interesting because more I think interesting is, is a broad word, right? Like, But what my career has had is change. My career has changed a lot since I started writing product design back in my bachelor days in Mexico. I am Mexican. My accent probably already told you so. But um, I started in product design, creating all types of things, furniture, automobile industry, you name it. I knew how to create any product or service. Then reality hit. And then I realized that I'm an introvert by nature. And so with that, I didn't know how to sell a thing. That's when marketing kind of hit my life. And I started to say, oh, maybe I should pursue education in marketing and, and try to make it a living combining both. And so that's when I came to the Bay Area almost 11 years ago to pursue my first master's degree in international marketing. And after graduating, I started to see what was the startup world. And nothing in my life has impressed me more than the startups because it was a dream of mine to kind of live in San Francisco just because the culture and like because the, the type of people that you see here. But when I experienced the business side of things where like hyper growth company lived here and you can see information like anyone in the world, like you, it's almost like you live, live in the future in San Francisco. I fell in love with the city. And so I started to work mostly exclusively for startups, growing teams, everything from companies of two people, employees, companies, all the way to 350. So I have managed managers and I have grown revenue all the way from 2 million all the way to 16 million ARR. Most recently, I am the current global director of digital marketing revenue operations for Jones Lang LaSalle or JLL how most people know it. And what it means is that now I jump to corporate America, right? Like now I am handling, this is a business of 
19 billion, it's a 19 billion dollar company that we are now managing globally. I run the eight regions that are more profitable for the company globally. And so in revenue operations is very funny because you kind of mix marketing with sales with customer success. So ultimately what I am, it's an executive that happened to specialize in marketing but ended up understanding a business more holistically, more on, like I fell in love with sales in one of my startups when I needed to educate the salespeople on putting information in the CRM. So that's when it hit me. And I was like, marketing can't be a siloed department. It needs to work along with other, with product, with, with CX, with the customer facing departments that I already mentioned. So one thing took me to another, and between those jumps, I've been working in all types of industries, all types of companies, and then I did my second master's degree in strategic design management, which among of the fancy title that everyone is like, what the hell is that? It only means that I understand human-centered design as the core of everything that I do professionally and sometimes personally. So I have made sure that I have, that my processes and my businesses understand things from a customer perspective. Otherwise, I'm not interested in working with them as a whole. So that's a little bit about me, a little bit of, of my background and what am I doing currently. Tell me a little bit more. You just mentioned a phrase that I find extremely interesting. You're an executive who specializes in marketing. Can you tell me a little bit more about this combination? Because I think that that's pretty much where the future of marketing is. This revenue component is marketing. is not anymore just a portion of marketing, but it's that contribution to revenue. Tell me a little bit more about it. Yeah, I think the marketers that we used to be back in 2000, 2006, 2008, 2011, before the MarTech technologies hit heavily, were the days where we were throwing spaghetti to the wall and see what sticks. And that's when the whole marketing and sales misalignment started because the only job of marketing was to create lists and then pass them to sales, hoping that someone would convert like by sending a million emails or something along those lines. Today, I think marketing is way more intentional. By intentional, I mean you moved from vanity metrics, where, which are like downloads, page views, click-through rates, which you, are, you still need to take your the pulse on those metrics for sure, especially internally with your marketing team. But to your CRO, to your CEO, you don't report on those metrics anymore. You have become, or we have become revenue marketers. So what that means is now you're reporting numbers that have to do with revenue. So pipeline generation, volume, value, velocity, rates, and so with this, the marketer kind of became a little bit of the salesperson and the salesperson became a little bit of the marketer. And a great example is, for example, I was in prospecting calls in my previous company. I was actually the person do, calling the customers and saying like, hey, how are you? How are you being treated? Like to take care of retention and renewals. And that's something that I never really did before or like cold calling. Literally someone that never heard of us before, I was also doing those type of calls to understand the world of sales. And I never knew that I was going to end up in that space. And the salespeople started to have the ability and the freedom, the freedom more than anything, to create content, which never, ever happened before. It was marketing, creating the content and then passing it to sales. In today's world, it's, it's a give and take, right? Like sales is like marketing is not a support 
departments anymore. We are not there to support anyone. We are a revenue generating department and we need to understand that the change has happened and now we have the tools to prove it. That's great. And so you start talking about really being intentional rather than just trying things and see what happens. Really that component of being intentional so that you can start producing revenue. You start really building a predictable engine. You start being basing data. How have you done that transition? Because you're talking, you were a designer, you went to do other things, revenue. How have you transformed that mindset on going from product to such a data-driven, intentional revenue creator that you are these days? (laughs) Honestly, I didn't know I was in this transition until people pushed me. I, if something has defined my career has been uncomfortability. I've been very, very uncomfortable in many, in many situations. And I think my previous bosses have pushed me to say, Hey, Lorena, I do care about the things that you are showing me, but that's ultimately not going to close revenue or that's not going to close the business. That's not going to take us to the Forex year over year growth or anything similar. So I think to answer your question, how I've done it is Number one, by being coachable, I am the type of person that I'm never going to say no if someone offers me their time to learn something new. So when the opportunity came to me to say, work with your CRO hand by hand, I said, absolutely, hell yes, I'll do it. No questions asked. And so I think the people that have surrounded me, I've been lucky enough that they are super smart people that know what they are doing and they have gave me the most precious gift that someone can give you, which is time. And they have spent the time to train me to really say like, do you understand compensation models for sales? Of course, I'm not an expert. I'm not going to say that I'm going to come now and create, then move finance away and create all the compensation models for sales because I could get fired like effectively tomorrow. But uh, I'm equally dangerous in, in marketing that I am in sales, that I am in customer success today. So that makes me a generalist. Yeah. A, gen, a pure generalist or a master generalist, how I call them. Well, this takes us directly to our data point for today. 86% of sales professionals have lost or stole a deal in the last 12 months based on decision makers changing roles. We've been talking for the last almost, what, a year about the great resignation, the softening of the economy, layoffs. Do you agree with this data point? Is it what you're seeing in your business? Absolutely. Absolutely. And actually I am living through it. It's been a little more than a year that I've been with JLL and I already had four managers. So four decision makers at a really high level of seniority have left the company for different reasons. And so when you think about it, it's not only sales that is feeling this pain, it's the entire organization because when we talk about this problem and this it's, it's becoming endemic, I think. If an employee, let's just take an example, like if an employee is the only person in the organization with a particular skill or knowledge set, and especially this happens in operations, very, very often in operations, then all the work that they were, and and they leave, then all all the work that they were responsible for may grind kind of a halt until a a suitable new replacement is found. And that's going to take you time and that's going to take you money. And even if there's another person in the in the organization with similar skills taking the workload of that employee that left on top of their own, 
that will still result in delays. And so this eventually is going to produce a loss of productivity that is going to have a direct negative impact on your bottom line, for sure. And that's one example. The other example that I am seeing, especially in real estate, is when a broker, which is can also be a decision maker, especially the ones that are dealing with the $20 million deals, etc., they have a list of customers, right? And so when they leave, when they resonate, the company lose access to that list of clients or the relationships that they had built with, with the customers. And so I think there's always a problem with decision makers leaving the organization in different regards, and it's going to affect different people across the entire line, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. It's been a challenge for everybody as you're talking about, especially productivity. You had already spent a number of hours in building a a relationship, and then the buyer changes companies, but at the same time, also internally, if the person that was driving that deal leaves your own organization and potentially takes away all the contacts, all the connectivity, you also are being set back. As a marketeer, and especially as an executive who specializes in marketing, what would be the two, three, four, five things that you would like to recommend to our audience that they can do to be able to help their teams? Right. So one of the pain points that I'm trying to resolve by having already four managers and having to re-educate everyone every single time that I have a new manager, which is also a problem because there are projects that just get stalled and they are limited, it's documentation. People take it for granted, but document every single thing and every single process that you have, because that's only gonna not only going to benefit you, but the organization. So that's at the lower level, something that everyone can take away and do tomorrow in your organization. Don't be the person that creates an amazing process and then you keep it to yourself because that's not being a good co-worker and that's not benefiting the company. So that's number one, documentation. On the broader level, how to make sure that your employees don't leave, which is the main problem here, is offer opportunities for employees to change roles across the company. This is something that is very close to my heart. In my previous, as I was telling you, I have managed managers and I have managed people and teams for the past eight years out of my 11 years in marketing. I've always made sure to say, hey, are you actually happy with what you are doing day to day? Yes or no? If the answer is no, I need to make sure that I give the person a chance to change or to evolve in the same organization. Care about your employees. Then the other thing is, it's going to sound like, okay, Mrs. Obvious, but Review your recruitment and onboarding processes. I am sick because at the very beginning, I worked for a lot of startups that were kind of the the white guys starting their own company. And uh, generally what they they brought to the table, especially to the C-level suite, were their friends. Because of course, they were going to bring their network, right? But if you want to grow as a company that is going to hit like an acquisition or an IPO eventually... That's not how you're going to grow because you're not going to be very diverse. And so I am so sick of like seeing these recruitment and onboarding processes that are not inclusive. So that's another one. And then the last one I would say, check out what, what, the, what your competitors are doing and then raise up the bar. If someone is, I don't know, offering more maternity leave or paternity leave, do something better about that. Like, Organizations that don't care, I believe the organizations are are starting to become caregivers for their employees. 
And with that comes a lot of responsibility. You need to take care of not only their physical health, but also their mental health. So if someone is suffering real unlimited PTO, then go and raise the bar to that or find other benefits like buying their groceries or like enabling them a better workspace for their homes. I don't know, like do something, but like keep an eye on the competition on what they are doing to retain their employees. I would say those things are things that you can even have a conversation if you are not the decision maker, at least. These are really great um, three points. Is there anything else that you're doing from a campaign perspective and audience content in order for that continuation as potentially the decision maker, the champion changes roles? I am actually currently working on an education slash training program especially for the RevOps team, because I am working on growing the team from scratch. So in order to prevent the person or the decision maker to leave, or if I leave, for example, I want to make sure that the company is trained properly on what the hell is revenue operations. So what I am doing is I am going and interviewing all the people that have to do with revenue operations in their own regard. So for example, the person that is really good at CRM adoption. I'm going and interview them and I'm sharing that globally through the entire company so people can have a better visibility on the processes and the things that I am doing. So going back to documentation, but this is taking it to the next level, like creating actually a certification or a training program. You can always do that without asking for permission of anyone or like I am one believer of like ask for What's the saying? Like, ask for forgiveness instead of permission. A hundred percent believer of that. That's one of the things that I am currently doing. Other than that, unfortunately, my life doesn't give me the time to prioritize other things. But I think that's one of the things that is going to help avoid these kind of, I'm telling you, I think it's an endemic. And I think it's not going to stop right now unless we start caring more about the people that we work with. I really like what you're saying because we all know that at the end of the day, people buy from people. So really prioritizing your people is something that is extremely important. Before we finish, I always like talking about my most favorite topic, which is, of course, diversity and inclusion. You already touched on it a a little bit. But as we all know, especially, you know, as a double diversity individual in technology, I'm part of the only 1%. That's still a little bit too much of a low, low number. I know that you're involved with Girls Who Sell and many other organizations. What are your thoughts? What are the recommendations for other executives? Because I truly believe that there is so much talent in all those individuals that are diverse, a little bit different. So maybe they're not as well connected, but it's like a goldmine of opportunity. What are your recommendations to other executives to really maximize that mentorship and sponsorship. Right. I think, and I'm with you, probably I'm part of the 0.0001 of the population because I literally, I am Mexican, part of the LGBT community, recently diagnosed with autism, executive, Latin, like I have all these things that make me part of that 0.001%. And so I am broadly diverse in many ways. And what I have spoken about this topic in the past, and the recommendation is look at, your recruitment, first of all, as I mentioned, but it doesn't stop there because a lot of companies, what I see is that they say, okay, we hired people from different cultural backgrounds and we hired like X percent of women in the C-level suite. And we have 
gen not, not only gender but like non-binary people and like you hire them but then you don't have the programs to follow up with them actually living their own selves through their jobs and that kills me because i think until today i haven't seen one company that does it right to hire and then maintain that hire in order for them to feel comfortable like I know in a public traded company, there's resources and there's things that I can go to and find myself. But uh, I think, especially in the startups, it's easier to maintain those programs and, and bring the people that are diverse. Like, stop. I already touched on this. The people that you're going to hire are the people that you're going to relate to and that you feel more comfortable with. I heard this comment once or I read it somewhere like, don't hire someone that you're not able to spend six hours on a plane. Well, that I don't know if I totally agree with that. Hire people that are good for the job and that are that come from different cultural backgrounds, that come from disabilities. Disability, like you would be scared of the low percentage of disability of disabled people or with conditions that are in, in executive positions. But it's the main problem is what I'm telling you. There's no maintenance programs for these individuals to really stay in a company for 10 years or 12 years or 15 years. And that's why they end up leaving to look for a better future, like a better scenario for them to feel themselves and to really be themselves. Yes, it's always a challenging conversation. But as you say, on one hand, you want to hire somebody that you would that you could spend a lot of time with. But on the other hand, if you did that, you would only be hiring people who are just like you. Awesome conversation. I'm really taking with me some of the words that you mentioned around intentionality, data, revenue, documentation, given the importance that our people deserves. Lorena, thank you so much for joining us today. Always a pleasure to talk and learn so much from you. Thank you so much, Mariana, and thank you, everyone. Hidden in Plain Sight, the Enterprise Revenue Intelligence Podcast is brought to you by PeopleEye. Make sure to search for Hidden in Plain Sight in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen to your podcast. Be sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at PeopleAI, thanks a lot for listening.